Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Okay. Awesome. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm glad all you are here today. It's a nice warm day out there, but hopefully it's nice and cool for you in here. So let me open in prayer, and then we can get into continuing our study in Matthew. Father Yahuwah, we give you great thanks, Father. We thank you for another Shabbat day for us to enter into this rest, and we delight it, and we thank you, Father. We look forward to it. Father, as today, will you be with us? We looking look into your words and your ways and the, the words of your Son. And Father, help us to comprehend them maybe on a deeper level than we know have known in the past, Father. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your words and your direction for us uh, in our lives. We thank you that, that those very words became flesh and he has dwelt among us, Father. And we trust in whom you sent, and that's your son, Yeshua, our Redeemer, our Messiah, and our King. Amen. All right, so um, we are still, we're going to finish up, uh, uh, we will finish up chapter uh, 21 of Matthew today for sure. So um, uh, as usual, I'll, I'm going to go through so far to get, uh, get some talking points going. And then, um, then we'll get to a point where you can raise your hand. And we'll ha- I believe we'll have plenty of time today. Uh, and just raise your hand. The mic will come to you. John will have the mic, I believe. And um, all we just ask is that uh, your comments or your questions be on what we're talking about. And, um, and if you can keep it as brief as possible, because you never know, there might be a day where there's a lot of people would like to have some comments. So. But I think we will do that. Uh, we will be able to have a lot of time here. So uh, we spoke about authority, okay? I presented uh, my thoughts on it to you, how I was looking at the text and the things that we went over. I believe Yeshua was showing um, by, uh, showing by what authority that he was uh, doing what he did through his actions. His actions showed where the authority was coming from. Because that's what the Pharisees are, the, the, the chief priests um, were asking by what authority are you doing this or that, okay? And I think there was, it's, there was a lot more what they were talking to him about when they asked him that. And I, had to t- I think it had to do, a lot of it had to do, what rabbi gave you, laid hands on you to go do this? And what rabbi did this? Or, or where did you come from that, uh, of your study? Where did you learn from for you to have um, authority to speak about the Bible? So, so, so there's a lot of different ways that you know, we could have gone down that path. So in, I, like I said, I think there's a lot more there uh, being communicated in the text as well. So, um, but my major thing that I thought was in his deeds, 
his outright deeds and what he did showed authority or who had given him authority. Obviously, the, 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 anyone who was coming up to them, and we'll see, I think, uh, I think in this text, if not, we have um, saw it before, where they were like, okay, we know you're from Elohim because Elohim went and allowed this to happen. Because he was healing, they knew that he must have been from Elohim. So you can see where it wasn't so much that, that issue, maybe it was more um, of what school and what train of thought were you, what university did you come from or seminary school that you came from that you could preach about Scripture and those things of God, okay? That could very well be the possibility as well. So in doing so, I, he showed that the Father's commandments is the authority, and if we want to overcome unrighteous authorities, or anything else for that matter, uh, in our lives, it's through his words, and this is how we will overcome, okay? I think that's a simple application, you know, that we can learn from Messiah, Trusting, having faith, believing in Elohim, believing in God, okay, is defined in Scripture as doing the law, okay, the Torah, okay, and there's no way around that. You just cannot get around that, okay? We are reading about what Yeshua taught during the three to four days, and I know I tend to say this over and over again, but I it's very important thing that I want to make sure you get. So we are reading about Yahshua during this three to four days leading up to his crucifixion. The day, these days of coming up to Passover, a very important appointed time. The days before his death and resurrection, okay? Since it's an appointed time on the Father's calendar it would seem to me that these parables he's sharing are extra important. That's how I would view it, okay? They're extra important because it's his, for the lack of better words, I guess, his final farewell, okay? We know he returns, but that there's something, you know, uh, you've seen in movies or someone, or even maybe your father, your parents, you're moving out, and you get that last bit of information or uh, confidence or before you go out, you know. So I think in some sense that's why I'm looking at it in that sense. These parables, and there's going to be a lot of them here that take place. So I think they are very important. The final words to be remembered. He is coming to a huge behold. <laughs> that's what I think it's all leading up to is just... Behold, you know, behold, before your eyes, remember what was promised in the prophets and prophesied, the promises from Abraham. So we must take the backdrop of the surroundings when we, uh, in account when he's sharing these things. And really, the biggest backdrop is the Old Testament. Okay, because all this, all that he's doing in is in light of all those things handed down. So Luke describes it, 
this type of him coming in and the things that he was sharing, his teachings, okay, and his healings and all that. But Luke describes it as good news being brought to all who will shema and hear. Shema is to hear and obey, all right? That is, to hear the commandments and go and do them. We saw how the, uh, the author of Hebrews understood the good news the same way. The, the good news was the same for them in the wilderness after receiving the, the command to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. This is, um, this is how you're being redeemed now. Change your ways. Okay, this is the theme of Passover. I'm talking about Exodus here, by the way. I'm not talking about what Messiah is, <laughs> all right? But if we go back to Exodus, oh my goodness, you have to see that it's one and the same thing. So change your ways. Exit the worldly system. That's what, that's what Moses was, in, in essence, saying and doing, Right? Exit the worldly system to learn the ways of your God, of Elohim, for a righteous life. Follow me out to the place I have chosen for you. I'll provide for you along the way. Trust me until we get to that mountain, Mount Sinai, by the way. Okay, that's where we're at. And I'll, I'll give you a love gift to aid you. Trust in my words and the directions I have for your life. That's the Torah, which we saw at Mount Sinai. I'm the author of life. My grace, my Torah is sufficient enough for you. And again, I'm talking Old Testament. And by the way, if you're not in me, there is no hope. Now, that sounds pretty drastic, but that's what happened at Mount Sinai. And let me continue, and I will show it play out. The Passover and the Exodus uh, story back then is the same as the time of Yeshua's time. It is to be understood in the same manner today. Let's review the book of Hebrews real quick. Because the, the author of Hebrews, whoever you think it is, therefore, as the set-apart spirit says today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Okay? See, it's interesting the author here isn't talking about, he's not necessarily here using uh, the Messiah or Yeshua's words. He's going back to the foundation and bringing something forth so you understand Messiah. Then it goes on. For indeed, the good news, see, was brought to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not having been mixed with belief or trust in those who heard it. Then it goes on. 
Since then, there remains. Um, since <laughs> since then, it remains um, for some to enter into it, and that's the and those who formerly received the good news do not um, do not enter in because of disobedience. So you can see what's going on here. In the wilderness, the good news was uh, was not mixed with action. So we have a New Testament author using the Old Testament to make a point, a fundamental point that, you know, it's just not a story. There's a foundation of a lot of things here. So, so basically what he's saying is trust is doing. So the good news, like then, is the same today. The good news of Messiah is not... Uh, follow if if not followed by obedience to the commandments will not profit you that i humbly believe is what the author of hebrews is trying i think real clearly trying to get that point apart You see, all things Yeshua teaches us is based on that of the past. So just like then, the Spirit, you notice the Spirit's in this too. We can't exclude him because he existed from the beginning. He's not a new thing. Yeshua teaches us based on that of the past. So just like the Spirit doesn't change, the Spirit says, today is the good news being delivered to you. The good news is you can overcome with the blood of the Lamb and the commandments. That's the good news. It hasn't changed. The message is the same in Exodus, the prophets, and with the followers of Yeshua, and, um, and is the same concluding message that we have in the end of our books. And let me read that. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their witness, how they walked out, what they did. And, what, and they did not love their lives to, uh, and, and they did not love their lives to death. That's at Revelations 12, 11. Lose your, lose your life, okay? This is what it's saying here. Lose your life. Didn't we hear that from Messiah? Lose your life. Live or live the way that you want and die. Blessing or cursing, it's your choice. Grace has been from the, the beginning and life, I'd say, demands obedience. So the Passover is an important picture and do not, and not just a visual thing, because it is a beautiful visual picture, but it's designed for us to take action in it. So it asks for a response, Passover does. A physical action must be taking place. So let's see how this idea will play out here as we continue in Matthew. Because we are in the Passover time. And we have 
the promise coming at the appointed time, the Passover time. So that's what's going on here. So, and if you have any, let me, before I go on, I guess, is there any comments so far? And I hope you understand what I'm trying to do. I'm looking at Messiah when he's coming into Jerusalem, because that's where we began. You know, he's in Jerusalem. He's being scrutinized, you know. But he's continuing on, okay? And he's going to lay down parable after parable, teaching after teaching. And all I'm trying to, or at least my viewpoint is, wow, let's bring it all into the context of Passover and what should have been understood from the very first Passover. So, so let me read this first as we continue in Matthew. But if we say, because this remembers, and this is the, the, let me take it back to the subject or the, I, what's going on here. They were saying, what authority, by, by whom's authority, by what authority are you doing all these things? And that could be teaching, healing. It doesn't really matter at this point. It can be all those. Okay. But if, and he says, well, I'll tell you by what authority. If you tell me who is John and what about John's message, was that acceptable to you or not? And I'm talking about John the Baptist. So it goes on. But if we say from men, we fear the crowd for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Yeshua and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither do I say to you by what authority I do, uh, do these. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered, said, I do not wish to. But afterwards, he repented and went. And having gone to the second son, he said similarly. And he answered, said, I go, I'll go, I'll go, master. But he did not go. Which of the two did the desire of the father? They said to him, the first. Yeshua said to them, truly, I say to you that the tax collectors and the whores, sinners, anyone who's whatever, are entering into the reign of Elohim before you. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not trust him or believe his message, but tax collectors and the whores believed him. And when they saw it, and when you saw it, you did not repent afterwards to believe John, his message. So Messiah is kind of answering his question another way here too, is he not? He, you know, I'm not going to give you an answer, but yet maybe Messiah couldn't help himself. I'll give you a parable, and in there is the answer. <laughs> what do you think? But what do you think? So Yeshua is going to answer in this parable. Remember, I believe that he already answered by deeds. 
the question was here, did John's teaching come from? Where did John's teaching come from? That was kind of the, the major point going on here, how it came, how Messiah addressed them. So, then I'll give you guys a question. What was John's preaching about? What was, what was, it, what was he about? What was all John about? What's that? Exactly. Repentance. Okay. And I'm glad you said that, Joe. Thank you. Here is the opening verse of Book of Mark. Okay. This is just to confirm, not just from me and Joe. Okay. Me and some Joe. Now, <laughs> let me confirm from the scriptures what the scripture says. Mark. It's in the book, of the, the first verses of Mark. The beginning of the good news of Yahshua Messiah, the son of Elohim, as it has been written in the prophets, see, I send my messenger before you. We see John here before you. Face the way, prepare you the way before you. And a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make his path straight. John came immersing in the wilderness and so this is right here. John came immer um, doing baptisms or immersions in the wilderness and proclaiming the immersion of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So now we have three witnesses. Now, it's interesting. The turn back, we see in the parable here of the son, the one repented and the word or the idea there isn't just turned around. It has to be through that Hebrew mindset again. So that would be teshuva. He turned back, right? What did he turn back to? What's the only thing that he could turn back to? Yes, he returned back to the vineyard. Okay. But what's the vineyard or what did he turn back to? Did he turn back to obey his father's voice about, you know, hear my voice today? So the first son repented, turned back to the father's command, just the verbal command, answered the command. I didn't, I didn't answer my father the first time or did it halfway or whatever it might be, but I'm going to return and answer that voice of my father. We can keep it simple. That way you can apply it to however really broad meaning that it has here, I believe. Action is weightier here, isn't it? Because down the blow, we see that you did not repent. That's what he's saying to the... The, the high priest here at that time. He's not saying this to all Jews. He's talking to a specific group. And when we do that, when we take it back to the specific group that he's addressing, guess what? We can all raise our hands and put us in that little group as just a group who's not doing what they should. So we all can stand in that little group. And I don't know about you, yes, 
Sometimes the Father says, hey, you need to change some of this. Okay? And I think that's a real safe way to understand the text without knowing the history of some of these groups of people and stuff like that, okay? Because I, find it, I think sometimes it gets taken way, way too far when it should not have. So those who hear the call return to righteousness. That is, they become obedient to the Torah. That is defined by the book itself. Righteousness is the Torah. The Torah is righteousness, okay? It was not only the... Uh, it's not only a mind exercise, because we have that problem. I'm, I know we still have that problem, all of us, because we're coming from a Greek mindset. If I just think it, it's okay, you know, right? But we need to understand it through the Hebrew thought, hear and do. Yeah, you hear it, you think it, and you got to mm, make it into an action and do it. And I know it's hard. We all fail sometimes, but that's the essence. As long as we keep getting back up, and it's like, going to do it, going to do it, going to obey, going to obey. So let's continue with the same train of thought as we go in Matthew. Yes, Paul, I'm sorry. Yes, okay. Um, so what I'm getting from this portion here. Uh, by this illustration, when he said, son, go work today, a lot of people say, well, we don't have a works-based belief. And I think it ties back into what we hear is that to shema means to believe and do. So if you, here's one that said, yeah, we will go do, we will go do the work. But then the other son said, I will not. And he asked him which one did the will or which one, you know, uh, did the desire of the Father, they knew what he was talking about. So that way of righteousness is to follow the Torah. That doesn't mean that the Torah is the thing that saves you, but it's the love and the obedience. So he could have very well said which one loved his Father enough to do his will, and it would mean the same thing. That's how I understand it anyway. Now, I would agree with you, Paul. I think that's a great way of looking at it. And would we, could you not even say, go and work out your salvation? It's here and it's free. All you got to do is obey and stay close to me. It's all there. Just, I, mean, I don't know. That's a thought. Joe. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, if I understand the vineyard is the world. And when he says, uh, so go to work today in my vineyard, in my world, spread the gospel of Yeshua. That's what I take it, the main work. It's not a physical labor. It's not that type of work. But it's proclaiming the Torah. Mm -hmm. Now, thank you, Joe. Yes, I see it. And proclaiming it. And I, I would say how we would proclaim it is by what we do. You know, we see the Torah says Shabbat. Guard it. So we guard it the best way we can. All right? Yeah, we may fail, but we guard it. This is what we've set down. Thank you, Joe. So if there's no more, we'll continue and see what other things that we can have to take a look at and discuss. So then he goes on. Here's another, then it goes on. Here's another parable. There was a certain man, a householder, 
who planted a vineyard and placed a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower and he leased it to the farmers and they uh, and went abroad and when the season of the fruits drew near he sent his servants to the farmers to receive its fruits i know i wasn't going to talk about the fig tree but i'm just reminding you didn't all this begin with this idea of the fig tree okay and the farmers uh, took the servants and beat one, and they killed one, and they stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they, they did likewise to them. And at last, he sent his son to them, saying, they shall respect my son. But when the farmers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, this is the heir. He's going to inherit everything. He's got, come, let us kill him and let us possess his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out, in, uh, out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the master of the vineyard comes, what shall he do to those farmers? As he's besides asking them. And they said to him, Evil ones, he shall bring them to evil destruction and lease the vineyard to other farmers who shall give him the fruits of their season. Now, one thing I just saw here real quickly, that I'm just guessing they answered real quick. And I am sure I'm not the only one that sometimes answers too quick instead of thinking about what I'm about to say. I'm sure I'm the only one in the room here. So, so here another parable. So if I would put that in the Hebrew mindset, Shema and do another parable, okay? That's another way of thinking maybe what he's saying here. Understand and take action in what I'm talking about in this parable. So here's a question. Shouldn't the farmers have been servants too, in some ways? Because it sounds like you got these farmers, and then the owner sending other servants. I'm, and this is just speculation. Maybe if the farmers were servants, there wouldn't have been an issue. But maybe the farmers had an idea, well, we're farmers, you know? And then another question, and I understand in the parable why this might be so. It might be ridiculous, that question, but, but here's one, though. What do farmers do? The essence of what a farmer does. I think those are important because it's these actions that are in the Hebrew that are actually speaking to us. It's not necessarily the title of a servant, the title of a farmer. It's the action of a servant, the action of a farmer, what they do. That's the important part. Paul, did you have a, or Joe? You know, a farmer, first of all, prepares the ground. Mm -hmm. Then he plants, then he nurtures it, and then he uh, redeems what he has planted. I think that's a beautiful answer. He takes care of the ground and ensures a good crop, and ensures the fruit will come out, right? 
That's his duty, to make sure the ground's good, make sure it gets watered. So in some ways, there's a servanthood there as well. Paul. There is a lot of um, strong symbolo- sim- similarities. Symbology. Symbology. Here. <laughs> anyway, I think I even pronounced it wrong there, where it says, the farm, I mean, the householder planted the vineyard, placed a hedge around it, which is, um, you can call it the Torah or protection, built a watchtower. Um, watchtowers were used to be able to see far off and to be able to make an announcement or a proclamation if there was destruction or enemies coming. They were supposed to guard that. And then he leased it out to farmers and went away. So they weren't the owners. They were, they were just leasing it. And then uh, the servants coming, how many other prophets came? And they were killed, stoned. And they were, you know, coming again. So I, I see the servants as being the prophets that were coming. And one after another, they stoned and killed them. And so now Yeshua, as the son, is coming. So this is all kind of parallel that they're, he's giving. And yet they say, well, what shall he do? And, you know, and he... And they call themselves evil ones, yeah. essentially. So. I, now that's it. Thank you, Paul, because I think that it's interesting. And wouldn't you maybe possibly agree? Again, if we go back in someone's, along with Paul saying, if we go back into the context of who he's talking to, okay, and this group of people, they know their history. All right, so very well he'd be talking about, you know, the history of Israel, the nation. So you can even see maybe the two different sons possibly playing out here, the northern and southern kingdom. I think there's an avenue that could be entertained there as well, and those being pictures. So you can see there's a lot of things that these parables can hold, you know, and what I find is, and, I, and I'm sure you find this too, or will find this out, the more like you read your Bible and you see things, all of a sudden you've got more things that you come across that these parables are compared that can be put into those contexts of these parables. Okay? And it's, like, and it's just amazing. I'm not that well read. I haven't read many books in my life, but I tell you what, when I read Scripture or whatever, I don't see how there could be anything that could be written so per- perfect that it intertwines itself. It just, you know, it, it's wonderful in that sense. So what do the farmers do? We talked about that. What's the inheritance? What possibly could be the inheritance here? I have one idea, but I'll see if there's anyone else. Polly? And again, there's no wrong answer. Um, I just have an idea. This this is just an idea or a thought. So according to, and I think Paul just commented on this a little bit, the householder in verse 33 appears to be the same person as the master in, where did I see that? Uh, the master in 40. Therefore, when the master of the vineyard comes, what shall he do to those farmers? So the master and the householder seem to be the same person who is the 
ultimate owner of the vineyard. The fruit that comes from this vineyard belongs to the owner in this parable. However, there is somebody who is the caretaker of the fruit, but ultimately the fruit belongs to the owner. So if going back to what you had talked about previously, and I, I'll have to do this by memory, by what we do shows who we belong to, or by, by what we do shows what, what is in our heart or head, mm -hmm. by what we do we show who we belong to. So the fruit that we're walking out in our life, the same as the fruit in this vineyard, belongs to the owner of that fruit, the one that gave it to us. He expects it, wouldn't you say? And it, it goes back to him. It's not ours. And I think this goes to show sometimes this, this, this field was never owned by the one leasing it, as Paul brought out. So the commandments that we walk out, they're not ours. They don't belong to us. They're his. We are just the keeper of them, and by keeping and tending to them and being good stewards of them, it goes back to caretaking what belongs to him anyway, because everything, including us, are his. Yeah, I agree with you. Thank you, Polly. And, and it's interesting, if you listen to what Polly was saying, that goes all the way back to Genesis. You know, he created everything and then allowed us to live, <laughs> you know? So he, he owns everything. Paul? Yeah, very brief. Going along that same line of thought, because there are terms here that everyone uses. We talk about fruit, and sometimes people say fruit of the Spirit, this fruit. Oh, am I bearing good fruit or righteous fruit? Um, all, all we'd have to do is go back and look at the Torah and how we understand the Torah. Are we walking it out? And are we walking it out, even examining our heart to see if our heart lines up with what's there? So it's caretaking what God had planted, like Polly mentioned. We're not bringing forth our fruit, so therefore it's not left to our own desires, whims, or thoughts. It has to line up with the fruit that God planted so that we can say, hey, wait a minute. Am I doing this? Am I not doing this? And then it gets pretty black and white. And, you know, but. No, I, thank you, Paul. I agree with you. You know, um, because that fruit has been defined of what it's to be. Okay? And the idea, even what Paul was saying, let's go back in Genesis. Like kind produced like kind. Okay? It's a fundamental idea. You know? The so his fruit is going to produce like-kind fruit. It's not going to produce something different. So if it's coming in, uh, he expects a particular fruit in your life, then he has defined that for us of what that is or how that should look. And we need the Torah to make sure that helps us on making sure we produce that. So maybe this is a reminder to me that the wickedness that was done here is that the farmers were trying to take this fruit for themselves and totally disregard 
the owner of the fruit or the heir of the fruit. So perhaps when we display fruit and someone makes a comment or something that they're admiring our fruit, maybe it's very important for us to acknowledge that this isn't my fruit. What you're seeing is the fruit of my father. Mm. And not taking, uh, you know, what belongs to the father for ourselves, but giving him the knowledge and the credit that this belongs to him. What you're seeing is the fruit of my father that belongs to him. I, thank you, Polly. That actually struck something in my mind the way you said it. So these farmers are going in and taking the fruit. So how Polly was talking then, so they would be demanding fruit, like kind produced like kind, fruit of this denomination, a fruit of this theology, and a fruit of this, 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 everything that man has come up with. <laughs> you know, that's what they want. And that's, and there becomes the opposingness. The father's, isn't, that's not the fruit that he was expecting. Because they're taking his fruit and maybe changing that fruit and taking it for their own inheritance, which ends up being very far away from the Torah itself. Jerry. Um, I think it's even a little worse than that. <laughs> because uh, whenever the, the servants come, to get their due, what they're expected is, if not the whole harvest, some of it. That's typically the way it's done. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you lease land from a landholder, you farm the land, and you pay him some percentage of the crops. Okay, so, but rather than pay them what he was due, they kill them, right? Mm -hmm. Then when they see his son, they say, uh, let's kill him, and then we'll inherit the land. So it's not just about cheating him out of what's due, it's about replacing him. That's Ooh, what they're really trying to do. By killing the son, they replace them, and then they become the owners. Mm. And we've seen that in various denominations in some ways, possibly, too. Paul? Yeah, just a side thought based on what Jerry was saying. In a way, they started putting their own hedge around what was already supposed to be God's hedge with putting their traditions ahead of the Word of God. So, you know, they were beginning to practice that in that sense. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you, Paul. Let me continue because we can end um, at chapter 21. So let's do that today. Yahshua said to them, did you ever read the scriptures? Because this is right after he says, they, they answered correctly, by the way, did they not? <laughs> you know, they got that parable. Yeah, throw the bum out. That's not right. Get rid of them. And it was them. <laughs> okay. Then Yeshua said to them, did you ever read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was from Yahuwah, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Because of this, I say to you, the reign of Elohim shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits of it. So it's interesting. He goes, you guys answer right. And that's exactly what, he's going to, what he says is going to happen. Then it goes on, uh, because of this, I say to you, the reign of heaven, uh, the reign of Elohim or the reigns of heaven, either one, shall be taken from you and given to another nation, bringing forth its uh, uh, 
fruits of it. And he who falls on this stone, the cornerstone, right, shall be broken, but on whom it falls, he shall be pulverized. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, having heard his, uh, his parables, knew that he was speaking to them, and they seek to lay hands on him, they fear, but they feared the crowd, seeing they held him as a prophet. So real quickly, that bold part there I think is interesting. And, and I could be wrong in my thinking here, but I'd rather be broken by Messiah and our Father than be pulverized. You know, I know when I'm speaking from personal experience and I just remember in some way the grace of God pounded me down, all right? But it did not destroy me. And that's what changed a lot of things in my life. So when I see that, it's like, yes, let's be broken of who we are. But if we don't get broken, he's going to pulverize us, you know? Go ahead, Joe, and then I uh, should be able to finish this out. Okay, I was just looking up for a 44. We know that Yeshua is the cornerstone, and this cornerstone would be broken. It was broken when he was crucified on the cross. And going back to Genesis, when Satan deceived Adam and Eve, God said that he would put intimacy between the seed of the woman and that the seed would bruise his heels. But God would bruise Satan's head and pulverize him. Yeah, thank you. So my last comments here, and then um, I think we'll have a little, well, we have to close here. Uh, the people um, may not have understood everything, um, but the text here does say they viewed him as a prophet, and that being Yeshua, Okay. And I believe that would be based on the guidelines that were set down in Scripture. Okay? I, I, I believe that's why they viewed him as a prophet, because they didn't find any fault with him and what he was doing. The same with John. Okay? I believe they probably, I'm guessing, knew how to discern whether this is a false prophet or not. Okay? So... So you can see the starting of uh, this chapter, you know, uh, how it builds up to this point here. And it will continue on, all right? We have to take everything. So chapter 22 is a continuation of where we're at in the conversations and the ideas, the Passover. And it's still, um, and it's still part of those three days leading up to his crucifixion. These parables seem to be all in Jerusalem, the place where he placed his name and his authority, the place where, he pro, uh, where the promise came to Abraham, the same place Abraham was given a substitute for his son, the same place where many other things played out as well. That's what we have to think about. This all happens around the father's house in some ways, Okay. So many themes are here, and I encourage you to continue to search these patterns and these foreshadows out. Next week, Jerry will pick up um, for me here, 
and you will start, and we will start chapter 22. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Let me close in prayer. Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. We give you great thanks because your mercy and your favor that you show on us each and every day. Father, we have shortcomings. We fail. But we thank you for your spirit that, that lifts us up and that empowers us so we can continue to get rid of those things in our lives and become more like your son, Father. We thank you for that love that you've shown us, and we thank you that you did not abandon us. Your spirit is with us, and your words are here to guide us as well. We thank you for all you do. May it be pleasing today as we lift up and glorify your name and your promises and your mighty deeds. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone.